Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4, it says, If then you are raised, were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is seating, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. The title uh, for the message today is Living for the Ultimate Reality. Uh, last week, I said uh, from this text, the New World Order, and uh, this is a little more positive in nature, maybe, living for the ultimate reality. And, uh, and so as we look at it, I trust that God will use it in our lives today of really having the kind of perspective uh, of living through life with the confidence that we have as believers in Jesus Christ. So well, let's pray commit our time to the Lord, shall we? Father, thank you for the opportunity to open your word. As always, we, we know that without your help, without the teacher, uh, the Holy Spirit, uh, we will not be, would not be able to understand uh, or comprehend. So we ask that your spirit would minister to us, teaching, edifying, building us up, encouraging us, strengthening us in our faith. And, Lord, convicting us of sin, if that's necessary. Uh, Lord, whatever the need is, we ask that uh, your Spirit would both teach us from what your Word says and then apply it to our lives. Uh, we ask, Lord, for your blessing. Uh, as we think of regathering, we do pray, Lord, that you would move in such a way as to speed along that process so that we could meet together again as a body. Uh, for the time being, we pray that you would encourage all of that you would get our eyes to look to you. We'll give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. The message today, it's, it's my desire, uh, really, to, to take time and application from this text. Uh, last week, we, we looked at the different qualities um, the, the, uh, that are mentioned concerning the coming age, uh, which are meant, really, to shape how we live now. They really are meant to be life-shaping in their, in their sense. What is left, that is, what we didn't get to last week, were the two primary verbs that are a part of this, which is usually what I do first uh, and neglect the other, maybe, but uh, that's not the case here. Uh, the commands are really meant to kind of put feet to the application of the text. Uh, so thus, knowing that your life is bound up with Christ, this is what we talked about last week, Knowing that your life is bound up with Christ, that is, you were buried with Him, and now you are, rot, you are raised with Him. Knowing that your life is bound up with Christ, and that He is right now seated and reigning. Knowing that the fullness of life is not actually found here. Fullness of life is actually found in what is to come. Knowing that, that we will be made like Christ, as this text says, then... Uh, how should we live? That's really what this text is driving us to. To put this as a proposition, let me suggest it in the following way. As the true children of God, we must live with, with an eternal perspective and make our lives about that which lasts beyond the grave. I've said this before. You've been at our church at any time in the past. You've probably heard me say this. But most people 
when they measure their life, they measure it between the two dates that are on their gravestone, when they were born and when they die. And life is about that little dash, the hyphen, that's between the two dates. But when, as believers, we don't measure that way. We measure our life not based upon um, the, the, the little short chasm or, or small amount of time that we, that we spend here on earth. We measure much differently. Yes, we have a, a beginning date, but we look to the eternal. We live our lives in perspective of that which is beyond the grave, not which that which is just in the here and now. And thus it shapes who we are and how we live. And that's really what this text is telling us to do. And so as already mentioned, there are two primary verbs that are found in the sacred text. In short, these imperative uh, are two commands for us. And, uh, and they're really very similar in nature. They're slightly different, just a slight variation but they are as follows. As to my actions, it says, seek those things which are above. And then as to my ambitions, as to my goal, as to my desires, set my mind on things above, not on things of the earth. This is the commands that are coming out of this text. And it's important that we take just a a few moments to kind of frame the context here. Uh, it's important to provide just a little information of what's going on and why this appears here, lest we run the danger of looking at the text without looking at the subject matter that's around them. I, I think of this, if you think of context, think of it as a person who for the first time in their life is taken from their small town that they live in and they're set in a, in a big city and they're walking around and their eyes are big and they're wondering, oh no, you know, is there evil lurking on every sidewalk, every street corner, right? Context. Like they're not, they're out of their normal place. And so they're unfamiliar with their surroundings. And we have to always be familiar with the surrounding, what's going on within the text. And so in particular here, uh, the lessons are, of, are really linked to the previous warnings. The warnings were... Uh, that we wouldn't allow someone to rob us of our our faith, to steal away or to take away. And they would do so by making the faith about externals, right? Um, don't touch, don't handle, don't taste, all of those things which perish with the using. That's what it was said. And as we come into chapter 3, it's saying... It, it, don't make it about lists. Don't make it about all of those things. But it does give us some general principles how to live. So when looking at these those warnings, we made it clear that we're all prone to put together lists or um, where we want to measure our faith by some external measurement. And so if we can easily put too much emphasis on the externals. And it's important to mention here because as we get to the commands... And then the application, which was what we're doing today, is really tempting to put a list together, isn't it? All right? What does this look like? Okay, I do this, and I do this, and I do this. All right? That's what I'm talking about. So so don't make it about the list. Don't make it about the stuff. Don't make it about the externals. This really is talking about the, the, the charter 
uh, or the, the compass, rather, of your life, or the rudder-setting measure of your life, which is your mind and your heart, of seeking those things which are above. So the immediate context, as mentioned um, last week, there are these four transcendent qualities for believers to keep in their mind, to bear in mind from these verses. Those qualities, um, as we contemplate them, as we allow them to kind of filter through our mind and saturate our thinking, uh, then the real motivation and objective for living comes out of those uh, things. So as we ponder them and we make it our daily task of living our lives with meaning that will last beyond the daily routines and the stuff of life, uh, you find these uh, commands that come out of this. So um, last week, those four qualities, as you might recall, were um, your life is bound up and linked with Christ's. Christ is right now seated at the right hand of God. That the fullness of life actually belongs to the coming age. And that one day Jesus will appear, believers will share in his likeness. He will appear and we will appear with him in glory, as it says in this text. So when thinking about introducing uh, my thoughts today, I guess my mind was drawn to the Gospel accounts. There are many different places in the Gospels, the interactions between Jesus and his disciples, or Jesus and the people that he was ministering to. And often as you read through the Gospel accounts, I don't know if you find this to be true, um, but as you read through the Gospel accounts, um, you're, you're thinking, why don't they get it? Like Jesus is speaking about something, and they're like not even anywhere in the zip code of what Jesus is speaking about. And there's a few different uh, ones that come to my mind. And, and so as, as you think of that, I think of the, the lessons where Jesus is warning his disciples to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And, and they're all concerned, like, does he know that we didn't bring bread? And he's, they're, they're thinking bread, right? They're thinking we didn't bring bread on the boat, and now, you know, he's upset about that. And and he's like, I'm not talking about bread at all. I'm talking about the teaching of the Pharisees. Beware of it, right? Or when Jesus was speaking with the Samaritan woman. You know, at first, uh, it becomes about water. But Jesus begins to refer to um, quenching her eternal thirst, which had nothing to do with water, But the whole conversation there, and then when the disciples return and they ask him um, to sit down and eat because they went and bought food, he says, I have food that you don't know about. And they're like, huh, wonder where he got that from, right? Those kind of accounts, you see those throughout the, uh, the New Testament. You find the people who are interacting with Jesus, and, and there's certainly many other accounts that you could illustrate the point with in the Gospels, but they serve the purpose. And it's easy to look at them and think, why didn't they get it? Why didn't they understand? Why, why were they so, like, like missing the point? But we do the same, don't we? And really, we do the same as we live out our lives. Many times we are, we are, we are living out our life thinking about the things of this earth, thinking about the things of this life, thinking, and our mind is completely on earthly things. And, 
we don't get it, right? So I wrote this in my notes. How many times has the Lord interrupted your daily routine and made the routine about a teaching moment, right? There's this all of a sudden, you're like meeting with the Lord over something and you weren't trying, it just came about, right? Or how many times um, has a quick run to the store or a quick errand somewhere turned into a ministry opportunity? You weren't looking for it. You weren't even thinking about it. And all of a sudden, right in front of you, here's this opportunity and and it opens up the door into a conversation that is much more about uh, the eternal world than the temporary world. Or how many times, uh, you know, if you're, if you're thinking about how many times has God been working in your life, teaching you a lesson, sort of kneading the, the lesson into your mind, and all of a sudden you find yourself in a conversation with someone else, and the very thing that God was doing in your heart, needing, taking a verse that you read in your devotions a week ago, or, and just kind of working it through, and you're marinating it in your thoughts, and all of a sudden you're talking to somebody else, and that verse, and the message that God has been doing in your life, all of a sudden becomes full view for them, and was something they needed. Many times. I mean, I mean you could probably uh, think of many occasions where those kind of things happen. How many times have your trials and your difficulties, your troubles, not only been teaching moments for you, but evangelistic opportunities for someone else? These are what we're talking about here. So often we're so consumed with the daily things of life, we lift our eyes, uh, or we don't lift our eyes to what God is doing eternally in our lives And this passage really is to direct our thoughts to that very thing. So as we look at these two basic commands here and really kind of concentrate on them from the text, they're meant to give instruction to us as believers while avoiding making life about the externals and knowing that it is all connected to these eternal um, aspects within the temporal world. And so I don't want to say that these two commands are teaching the principle Uh, I said, I do want to say this. I want to say that these two commands are teaching in principle what we'll learn more in application later on in this text in verses 3, uh, 5 through 17. Thus, as we consider them, we're just going to look at them really in principle. And uh, they'll work themselves out later in, in this passage. So, the first basic command, as to my actions. As to my actions. Um, seek those things which are above. The first order really has the idea of inquiring after something uh, or craving after something. And as such, uh, it is to seek in order to find. That which is sought after is also mentioned. Things which are above, right? So we're to seek after something. Seek after that which is from above. And more specifically, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So what is this about? What does this look like in your life? Let me suggest three thoughts to you here as we kind of work out or tease out what's going on in this passage. First, the reality of what you are seeking. Secondly, the corresponding activity of what you're seeking. And then finally, the essence or the actual principle of it 
in the end. So first, the reality. Um, Things which are above. I love this passage. It's something that kind of hit me as I was studying it. And maybe uh, it it strikes you as well. Um, The statement actually is set in contrast to verse 2. Verse 2, it says, um, you know, that we are to set our mind on things above, not on things of the earth. And so here, things that are above is in contrast to things that are on the earth. All right? And so, and you need to see that contrast here, that being the, that the everyday activity of my life, uh, I have to make it not about the everyday activity of life, but rather about the eternal, of things that are above. Um, it's not meant to dismiss or to negate in any way the daily responsibilities and activities of our life. Meals have to be made, right? Uh, work has to be accomplished. Shopping has to be done. Jobs have to be um, faithfully attended to. Uh, they are real. They're tangible. But even more real are the things that are above. Notice that. That's that phrase. Things that what? Are above. Not just as a fuzzy sort of thing out there, nebulous. Things that are above. Couldn't help but thinking when I studied through the book of Hebrews with our church body on Wednesday nights, we went through the book of Hebrews. And one of the the lessons that just came out of that study that has been with me since has been throughout most of Hebrews is talking about the typology of the Old Testament, the temple tabernacle, the priesthood, all of those things. And in the book of Hebrews, it talks about all of those things as just being a picture of the real. The the, the tabernacle that was Solomon, or the temple that was Solomon's, and the tabernacle that uh, was a part of the people of Israel's life was just a, a, a picture of of the future, one day, real temple of God. They were just, they were just here. And yet, we would look at those and we would go, that was a real temple. You could touch it. You could, you could put your hands on it. That was a real tavern. Those were real priests. And yet, they were just a type of the real. They weren't the real, in other words. And it kind of sunk into my mind. So many times we, we, we touch this and we think, this is real. And when we think of eternity, we think, well, that's not really real yet. But it is. And here in this text, it's driving that home. We are to seek those things which what? Which are above. They are above. We're just waiting for that to happen in time, but the reality of them are there in the first place. And so, so you might think of, uh, of the saying, when this world is gone and past, what's done for Christ will only last. That's one of those sayings that comes to mind. My point here is that as believers, we live with respect to a reality that most people reject. That there is a real eternal abode awaiting for the children of faith. In, and 
the reality of that place factors into your life and my life every day on how I live out my life. That's what this text is driving us to. And so more to the point, the heavenly realm is more real than the temporal realm. Because the temporal realm is just that, temporary. It will one day all be gone. It will perish. It will wind down in time. God will melt the elements, it says, with fervent heat. But the eternal abode is eternal in every sense of that way. Tangibly real and everything around us uh, that is changing and decaying and perishing. But the things that are above are eternal. So as I thought about this point, my mind went to the a ballad. This is uh, probably most of you don't know this guy. He was a guitarist and uh, kind of sung a lot of folk songs. His name was Jim Crochet, and uh, he had one song, or one ballad, was If I Could Save Time in a Bottle. And uh, if words could make wishes come true, I'd save every day until eternity passes away just to spend them with you. It was a love story, right? If I could save time in a bottle, but I can't. And then he goes on, and in the chorus, but there never seems to be enough time to do the things you want to do once you find them. I looked around enough to know that there's... You're the one I want to go through time with. Okay, I won't go through the rest of it. I, I, obviously, I remember. It's a really uh, nice love song. Um, but this world is perishing. Time just keeps flittering away. We don't have much time. The real world is yet to come. Our treasure as believers must not be placed where moth and rust corrupts where thieves break through and steal, but in the eternal abode of God, and there our heart and our treasure and our investment of our life is. So as, as we look at this, we see, first of all, the, the reality, things which are above. And secondly, the activity, seek those things, them which are above. So, well, then, if I'm going to seek after that which is above, what exactly does that look like? What, is, what does that look like to you in your life without giving me a list? <laughs> right? <laughs> this, 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 and this. No, that's not the idea. I think it's pretty simple, pretty straightforward. Don't have to complicate it much. It's found in the text that there's not need for lengthy discussions. Much of it will be clarified in the next point when we talk about this, the essence of this quest, if you would. But the word itself, as mentioned above, means to seek, to seek in order to find, to strive after a goal, to crave after something. That's the idea of this word here. And the effort or the activity that's being um, given to us here, the, the activity here then is a pursuit uh, within the context of Christ. I suppose it's a pursuit of the resurrected life. Or a pursuit of the Christ life. Uh, it's a daily ordering of my life, um, of my membership into Christ's body. What does it look like? Well, I probably go to a lot of different verses that crystallize it, I think. I think of Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, with which is your reasonable service. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed 
by the renewing of your mind, it might look like 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verses 19 and 20. Do you not know that your body is the temple, the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, which you have of God? And you're not your own, you're bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. Or 2 Timothy 3, verses 14 and 15, says, But you must continue in the things which you have learned and have been assured of, and goes on uh, ultimately speaking about the Scriptures and the inspiration of the Scriptures, uh, so that the man of God, the woman of God, may be complete, thoroughly furnished, equipped for every good work. And you could find many verses that might crystallize the activity. Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, we also are surrounded by a great crowd of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is before us. So you can go on and find many verses that might speak of the activity. Seek those things which are above. Setting my focus and my gaze, my desire, my my cravings for that which is up above. And then thirdly, um, the thought not only of, of uh, the activity or of the reality, but then of the essence. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So my focus, that which actually m- motivates me into service, is, is found in the essence of this fall, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. The aim, if you would, the target in view, the place where Christ is seated at the right hand of God the Father. Now, I think this is very helpful. I think it's helpful um, as you contemplate that place and you ponder what that really pictures. What does that envision? And I would love, this is where you miss the interaction. But when you think of Jesus sitting at the right hand of God. So I have a few, a handful of people here. Get your wheels turning. All right. When you think of the, the place where, um, where Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God, what does that represent? What does that mean? So, any thoughts? Those who are here, put you on the spot. Right? Place of honor. Okay. All right. What? A place of authority. He is seated in regal authority, a sovereign. Completion of the sacrifice of the finished work of Christ. Good. Else, Anybody else? Yes. Judgment? Yeah. There is a judgment coming. And uh, the fact that he is seated on a throne represents that. Finality. Something is finished and completed in finality. Yeah. When he sacrificed, offered himself for our sins, when he completed that, he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Right? So, let me throw a few thoughts at you as you ponder some of this. When you think of living in light of the fact that the Savior is seated at the right hand of God, number one, it is a place of forgiveness, a place of mercy, a place of intercession. Uh, 
to seek this then in my life means uh, to be a merciful person. I think it means um, that I should be a forgiving person who both understands forgiveness that has been granted to me and forgives others. Jesus is seated after having made atonement for our sins. And that lesson then transcends into my life of being a person who is merciful and forgiving or going on. It is a person who rests knowing that that finished work is done and there is one who is my advocate above, right? Who intercedes for me. At the, and so knowing that, I can also intercede for others and pray for others. And so how do I seek that which is above? Well, by, um, by letting that work through my hands and through my feet, being forgiving, being merciful, being one who intercedes and prays for others, taking this uh, as a part of it. Secondly, it's a place of power and authority. Some mentioned this, uh, knowing that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to the Lord Jesus. It not only means my submission to that authority, which it does mean that, right? He is Lord. I love the verse. I've, I've memorized it, you know, why call you me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I say, Jesus said. If he is Lord, then he is my master. And so it has that, and certainly means his rightful rule in my life. But it also means that his will is being carried out. All authority is given to Jesus, right? All authority in heaven and in earth. He is reigning, and I can rest in that authority that he has. Thirdly, it's a place of peace and a place of rest. It is finished. It is completed. And so to, to seek after this in my life means to know that peace uh, that is guaranteed through what Christ has done and is made on behalf of him and the rest in his finished work. All of that plus more. That's the the point is that as you think of living in light of this, seeking that which is above should transcend into tangible ways in my life. The second command then is set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. The second command is similar to the first. Uh, slight variation, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, the Greek word translated set your mind uh, reveals the change. It's the word franeo. It means to have understanding uh, or to think and ultimately also to feel. It speaks of our, our, our thinking, our mindset, and even our disposition. And so here are some related passages where this word or word um, that are equivalent to it are used. So Romans chapter 8 and verse 5, it says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Same idea. They set their minds upon it and therefore live out that very thing. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5, very familiar passage to us. It says, Let this mind be in you 
which was also in Christ Jesus. All right? This way of thinking and feeling, ultimately, which was about humility, if you remember the text. Conversely, it's also used negatively. And so in Matthew chapter 16, in verse 23, it says, For many walk, of whom I... I'm sorry, Matthew 16, verse 23. But he turned to Peter and said, Get me behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God but the things of man. All right? So conversely, not seeking the things which are above or not setting my heart on the things that are above, here was an example. Or Philippians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. And this one might be uh, more clear than the last. For many walk, of whom I told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. Okay? And so in this passage, it's saying, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. So converse, uh, or in contrast to what's said here. So then, this has more of the idea of our thinking than actually our, our works or our activity. It conveys the whole idea of motive and ambition. And as such, it's like, like a compass uh, that is directing our life or um, that's charting a course. In fact, uh, I would submit to you that the command, uh, most off, this command most often precedes the former. That is, usually our thinking revolt, results in our activity. And even though they're reversed in this text, I would say that this one probably precedes it. As such, uh, when I set my mind on things, um, my, on things above, my activity will ultimately follow. So, uh, a couple of verses come to my mind. This one in particular, uh, Matthew chapter 6, and actually it's a, a, a few select verses from Matthew 6, 21, 24, and 33. It says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Or Philippians 4 and verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, Whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is any praise, meditate on these things. The things that you have both seen and heard in me do. Right? So, that which you have seen in me, Paul writes, that do. And he lists some of those things. And Paul probably heard the negative statement. Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. That person is so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. You ever hear that statement? Let me submit to you that probably most of Christianity is quite the opposite. They're so earthly minded, they're no heavenly good. And I can say that oftentimes that's too true of me. Right? I live my life and I concentrate on the things of this life and on the things of this world 
and I don't make it about the transcendent work that God is doing in my life and through me to others. And so um, here is the contrast, and it, it really comes in full view, right? Not on things on the earth. Set your mind on things above and not on earthly things. First John 2, verses 15-17, Don't love the world or the things of the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world, and the world's passing away. Same idea, just spun a little bit differently in the Scriptures here for us. So, as we kind of bring this to a close, let me suggest just a few things in application. Um, make your relationship to God a priority relationship. I can't really help others. You think of if you've ever flown and you're sitting in the plane and the stewardess before the plane leaves the ground comes out and gives instruction, Right? And one of the instructions is there's going to be this mass that's going to drop down. And before you try to help somebody else put the mask on, put it on yourself first. And then try to help the other person. And it's like that with our relationship to God. If we're not first setting that horizontal or that vertical relationship right, I really can't work through my horizontal relationship. Make your relationship to God a priority relationship. I don't want to give you lists. This is what I didn't want to do, but at least I think these in principle are represented in the text. Making your relationship to God the priority relationship. Finding joy and satisfaction in the things of God. Not in things of the world. So many people, as I mentioned at the beginning, their, their ambitions, their goals, their aim, their drive, everything is about this life. Living out and doing what they want to do. God is not even a thought, or if he is, it's just a passing one. Find joy and satisfaction in things of God. Value that which lasts. That which is eternal. It is Again, if you've been here for any length of time at our church, you'll know that um, if you look around, the only thing that lasts are people. They are eternal. Everything else will be gone. Everything else. No matter how much you touch it and hold it, no matter how long it has been around, the rocks, the trees, the mountains, the oceans, Everything will one day be gone. That which lasts, that which is eternal, is the immortal, uh, eternal soul and the people around us. Value that which lasts, that which is eternal, and and live by the the, the virtues and the the um, commands of our Lord Jesus Christ. So many places we can find. Uh, ways in which Jesus really spoke these truths to us uh, in the gospel accounts. And so 
as, as we work through um, the next verses, I think it'll be very specific in application. So we move on from verse 5 and following, mortify, put to death the deeds that are upon the earth, put on later in the passage. All right, it'll become very nuts and bolts kind of um, practical things. But here, it's directing our hearts. Seek what is above. Seek um, and follow after. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Brother John's going to come. Lead us in a closing hymn. Appreciate the time to worship together. May God continue to use this passage in our lives throughout the week and the days ahead. John. We will close by singing number 176, Jesus, the very thought of thee. We would like to sing the odd verses, so verses 1, 3, and 5. Number 176. Jesus, the very thought of Thee, with sweetness fills my breast, but sweeter far Thy face to see, and in Thy presence rest. O hope of Contrite heart, O joy of all the meek, to those who fall, how kind thou art, how good to those who seek. Jesus, our only hope, be thou. As thou our prize will be, Jesus, be thou our glory now, and through eternity. Let's pray. Our merciful God, you are faithful to all those who drawn near to you. And we've been challenged today to do exactly that, to set aside the things which too often attract us and that we pursue after. And instead, to seek first you and your kingdom, that our mind would be the mind of Christ, who, though he was God, equal with God, and is God, submitted himself to the will of God. He was obedient to the point of dying on the cross for my sins, for the sins of all. We ask that you would use your word and spirit to change our hearts, that we would seek first you, that we would look forward, as we have just sung, to an eternity 
which will be marked by the occasion of every knee bowing before you and confessing that you are God. And that we will not just do that, but that we will also proclaim that you are our Redeemer. Thank you for your word. We thank you for our salvation. We thank you for our continued work of sanctification. In Jesus' name.